As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. So today I talked with Vas Natarajan from Excel Ventures. We talked about the history of big data, how Cloudera started in their office, and how companies at the seed stage, which is where he's focused, are using data today, and some interesting ways companies are building on top of big data infrastructure to provide the tools for analysis and integration. So stay tuned. It's a good one. Welcome to Rocketship.fm, the podcast where we explore startups from funding to growth, from culture to sales, and everything in between. I'm Michael Saka. And I'm Joelle Goldman. So let's start off, for those that may not know, tell me a bit about Excel and and your role there today. Yeah, sure. Uh, I am 
am one of the early stage investors at Excel. Um, I've been here for about uh, just coming up on seven years. Um, Excel is an early and growth stage technology investor. So we invest in software and services across uh, enterprise and consumer categories. Um, we've been around for about 30 years now. We're based in Palo Alto. We have offices in San Francisco, uh, London, in Bangalore. And so we're, we're very global investors as well. Um, and, uh, you know, we had the great fortune of working with and investing early on in some uh, pretty tremendous businesses. Um, we were the first investor in Facebook back in 2004, 2005. Uh, we we're the first investor in Dropbox, in Slack, in Cloudera, uh, and, and many, many others. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. Um, so when, when you guys look at kind of the, the landscape, I mean, data has always been a part of technology, um, but when did you see it becoming um, a bigger part in a business, you know, a business that could uh, essentially, you know, build a business on top of the data that they were collecting? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, I think the, 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 the transition to being a data oriented business has been happening, happening slowly, but surely over the, uh, over the past decade, uh, it really inflected, uh, I want to call it, um, really close to the founding of Facebook, um, mm. 2005, 2006, when companies were starting to amass web scale levels of data. Um, so every business today is, uh, you know, has some sort of internet and web presence. Maybe they have a mobile app. Uh, they're collecting data across so many different vectors, uh, so many different endpoints. Uh, and and that, web scale, that web scale level of data was really uh, overwhelming the existing data systems that most of these companies were using. Um, you know, take a, a company like Goldman Sachs. Uh, Goldman Sachs, you know, collects uh, terabytes and terabytes and terabytes of data every week uh, across trading activity. They they're engaging customers. Um, you know, they're looking internally at their own business from a risk standpoint. They're trading globally in multiple different markets. Um, you know, th- these companies were, were were collecting masses, massive amounts of data. Uh, and the existing subsystems to support that data, truthfully, weren't scaling well. Um, so, you know, we were making the transition from the SQL Excel world, uh, where you could cleanly fit data into nice rows and columns. Uh, and we were suddenly starting to think about big data. Uh, and what did big data mean? Well, it meant that we were collecting both structured data, the data that you could fit into an Excel spreadsheet, uh, as well as semi-structured and unstructured data, uh, data that didn't fit cleanly into rows and columns and was coming in uh, almost like a waterfall into a company. Uh, and so that, that transition uh, you know, really started to take off uh, as many of these businesses uh, were, were going global and they were becoming web scale themselves. Uh, and so what we started to see was um, companies reimagining the underlying infrastructure. Um, okay, so now we're collecting quote unquote big data. Well, how do we store it? How do we process it? How do we make sense of it all? Uh, and that's where you know we saw a lot of the innovation that uh, many companies are writing today. Uh, you know, if you take um, storage systems like HDFS or Hadoop, uh, MongoDB, uh, CouchDB, um, and, and many others, um, you know, a lot of that innovation was born out of the need to collect um, this new mass amount of data. Interesting. Who were some of the early companies that kind of pioneered this um, this technology? Yeah, you know, I, I look internally. We were uh, we were an early investor in a company called Cloudera. Um, Cloudera was born um, 
uh, actually in Excel's office, truth be told. Really? Uh, the, the chief, da- you know, w- one of the heads of data from Facebook, his name was Jeff Hammerbacher, um, and he realized that, um, you know, the companies that were nailing big data right were the consumer web companies, you know, the, the Facebooks, the Googles, the Yahoos of the world. Um, they had figured out how to store and manage and process all of this big data uh, well before uh, the rest of the market. Uh, and that was a need that they had to f- solve. That was a problem that they had to solve for themselves, um, obviously being web scale um, sort of at inception. Uh, and, and Jeff realized, you know, hey, um, this isn't just a consumer Internet issue in Silicon Valley. This is going to be a global Fortune 5000 issue. Uh, and so he started Cladera alongside uh, Amr Adwala and Mike uh, and Mike Olson. Amr was uh, a, a leading technologist out of Yahoo, uh, and Mike was uh, was our, our original um, head of business and CEO. Uh, and so he started Cladera uh, with the understanding that hey, let's let's take all of this rich uh, web scale technology uh, that we're seeing in, in the valley and let's take that to the masses. Uh, and so Cladera today is. Um, the dominant commercial distribution of Hadoop, uh, and more, more importantly, they've built a lot of important products and services around the Hadoop ecosystem uh, to allow companies to take advantage of the the underlying technology. Uh, Hadoop and its uh, and its ecosystem of products is, is solving a lot of the problems that I was describing earlier. It's how do how do companies store, manage, and process. Uh, all of the the gross amount of data that's coming into a company. Right. Uh, historically, you know, you could go out and uh, go to go to an Oracle and um, you know buy uh, hardware plus software to uh, to hopefully um, uh, you know host in your data center and and collect and store all that data. But uh, but again, you know, back to all the problems that we were discussing before, uh, the data was outscaling uh, all of those incumbent systems, and so Hadoop came along and Cladera. Uh, came along to help solve some of those problems. Interesting. And then how did they, when they entered the market, um, how did they get people to, I mean, there's there's one thing to like store the data, but then there's the process and understanding. Did they provide those services too? Or was that a market that came up alongside of it? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. Um, they, they certainly do a lot to help you uh, extract insights from the data. Uh, and so they have a variety of different products uh, whether it's um, uh, you know whether it's their resource management tools, uh, whether it's their security tools, they have a a SQL like product called Impala uh, that allows anyone who uh, who effectively knows SQL to query the underlying data and ask interesting questions. Um, but I think to your point, you know, as we move further and further up the stack, uh, you know, Cladera was solving a lot of the. Uh, the, the data integration and storage issues, uh, and they're starting to to solve some of the process and analytical issues. But there are many other companies that are uh, creeping up to uh, to help make sense of the data. Because uh, again, again, to your point, uh, businesses, um, you know, they care about storing and managing it, but more and more importantly, they want to ask questions of the data. Yeah. Uh, we're we're an early investor in a company called Zoom Data, which is a next generation BI and analytics tool. Uh, and they do. Uh, they help to solve a lot of these problems as well. Um, so they sit on top of uh, big data like infrastructure, like a Hadoop uh, or like a NoSQL database, uh, a Mongo or a CouchDB, uh, and they actually help to provide uh, interesting visualizations uh, on top of the data, so that you know you as a business analyst in a company, you can uh, you can ask interesting questions of the data, and then you can help to communicate those insights uh, out to other stakeholders. Um, but you know. By and large, this entire stack 
really had to be reimagined in the big data world um, because we're starting to ask questions of, of much bigger sets of data than ever before. What are some of the questions that you see being asked in a, in a business that weren't previously you know, answered? Because we can now look at this larger data set and make sense of it. You know, it's, it, it's interesting. I think um, um, at, at a very high level, and, and Jeff Hammerbacher at Cletera once used this quote with me, he said, you know, traditional data products allowed you to ask the known unknowns. You know, there were the questions that you knew, that you knew to ask, but that you didn't, know the, you didn't necessarily know the answers to. Um, big data stacks uh, and, and big data uh, products are allowing you to ask the unknown unknowns. So what are the questions that I didn't know to ask to begin with uh, that potentially have an opportunity to really impact and drive my business? Um, and and, and that's, that's really the promise of big data because we're collecting data across uh, so many different endpoints, across so many different vectors. We suddenly open up the opportunity to ask questions that we never even knew to ask to begin with. Uh, and that's where, you know, real business impact can can be driven. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about um, data in kind of the, the VC world. Um, sure. How has data affected, you know, the, the VC community and how decisions are being made today? That's a really interesting question. Um, you know, to put it simply, data has become really impactful in the VC space. Um, I'd, I'd say... Less so in terms of helping VCs to find uh, the next great, interesting business. Mm-hmm. Uh, although there is some of that, you know, data can help inform, uh, you know, what are the uh, the fastest growing businesses that uh, that maybe we're not talking to yet. Uh, and so it certainly helps to fill a maybe a top of funnel issue. Okay. But more importantly, I think data has really helped us uh, at the middle of the funnel as we're making uh, the critical decisions of what to invest in. Uh, we are definitely looking at the data and benchmarking that against, uh, you know, benchmarking the data that we see from the companies that we're talking to uh, against uh, other historic companies. Um, you know, uh, take, a, take, for example, in the SaaS space, uh, you know, anytime that we meet a, a SaaS company, uh, we have our, our standard sets of questions that we like to dig in on on a third or fourth meeting. Um, you know, what is ACV? What is, uh, you know, uh, uh, payback period, what's the magic ratio, uh, you know, all the, the traditional SaaS sanity metrics that any investor is going to ask of a SaaS business. Uh, you know, we love to dig in on those. Um, and fortunately, you know, we have a great portfolio of SaaS companies that, uh, you know, we have a sense of how they're performing and we can benchmark uh, new investments against uh, some of the incumbent businesses. And as a result, we can react pretty quickly to understand, you know, hey, wow, this this new company, this net new business we just met, uh, is actually doing things in a really efficient way, more efficient than maybe we've seen historically. And so it's really helped our decisioning process. Uh, and, and as a result, I think we're making uh, better and better investments over time. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. Interesting. So before, it seems like one of the partners may have insight into like what they've seen over the last 10 years, but now you're actually able to share that information because it's, it's readily available? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it, 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 I'd say historically, 
a lot of the investment decisions were driven by gut, uh, mm-hmm. driven by, you know, just a, a sense of the entrepreneur and of the market. Uh, and that, that's certainly still the case. Um, you know, we, we by and large are investing in the best teams in the largest markets uh, and folks who are creating net new innovation. Uh, but I'd say, you know, that core decisioning process has been wrapped in a substantial amount of new data. Uh, and so, you know, and it, it, over and above relying on, on some of that gut feel, uh, we're able to actually make informed decisions. Uh, and that's only, you know, recently happened over the last five to 10 years as we've uh, been able to collect more data, as we've been able to parse through it, uh, and as we've been able to uh, to make sense of it all. Interesting. And what kind of, um, I mean, what kind of tools do you guys use for this, um, if you can share? Yeah, uh, you know, we're, we're always thinking about, uh, you know, things that we can be building uh, internally. But, um, you know, by and large, we, we use a lot of off-the-shelf products. And I'd mm-hmm. say most VCs uh, are probably using some variant of this operating system. You know, we look at App Annie. We look at things like Mattermark. Uh, we, use, we look at things like Alexa uh, uh, from, to, to get a sense of web traffic performance. Uh, and then internally, you know, we just we, we we're trying to build our own databases around um, you know some of the um, you know light SaaS metric performance that we were talking about before. Yeah. So we have a sense of how our existing portfolio companies are trending, uh, and we can uh, you know we can understand uh, how how new businesses that we inter- intersect, we can understand how they uh, they're performing relative to to some of the benchmarks. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so let's talk about some of the the data at the the seed stage. What do you see that's exciting um, in the data space? Yeah. No. It, it's it's been amazing. Um, hanging out with data entrepreneurs uh, over the past couple of years, uh, specifically at the seed stage, uh, we're seeing a lot of uh, new innovation uh, up and down the stack. Um, I, I'm an investor and a board member in a company called Segment, which is an analytics API and customer data hub. They solve a really interesting problem. Um, take a company like a Bonobos or an Atlassian, both of which are Segment customers. Um, they have to collect data across uh, all of their websites, across all of their products, across all of their uh, mobile apps, uh, they need to combine all of that data into a single standard warehouse. And then they need that data to uh, pass along to a number of different end tools. Um, so maybe they're living in a mixed panel or a Kissmetrics or a Google Analytics or an Optimizely. Um, they basically have the problem of having to collect a lot of data across a very wide service area having to make sense of it all and, you know, standardize that data into a a single source of truth. And then they want that single source of truth to feed all of the downstream tools that they're living in, Uh, you know, the actual tools where they power marketing logic or uh, operate workflow. And so Segment comes in to solve a lot of that problem. So, you know, we offer a single SDK, a single API endpoint to collect all of that data. Uh, We standardize that and, and, and schematize it into a common format that then those end tools like a mixed panel or a Kissmetrics or an Optimizely can all read from. Um, and that solves a, a really big pain point for the marketing and the engineering team because, uh, you know, historically those teams could not collect that data in any sort of high fidelity way. And then when they were using that data in some of those endpoints, uh, in some of those end tools, uh, you know, they weren't actually getting uh, consistent responses. They weren't actually seeing consistent data. Uh, but now with a, uh, with a service like Segment, uh, they can actually uh, rely upon the data that they're seeing uh, in in the tools that they're using. 
And what's interesting about segment is is this market probably didn't exist five years ago. I mean, it was a it was a problem, but not as big as it is today because you didn't have as many service providers that you needed to integrate to get the data that you wanted. That, that that's exactly it. And I think it gets back to the original point that we were making, which is um, you know companies are overwhelmed by the amount of data that they're collecting, and they're mm-hmm. collecting data across so many different endpoints. Uh, uh, than ever before. Um, so whereas, you know, five or 10 years ago, you're probably just collecting customer data from a website and that was it. Yep. Uh, today you're collecting, uh, uh, customer marketing events from the website, uh, from how customers are engaging your email, uh, how customers are clicking, are clicking on your ads, how customers are engaging in your mobile app. Um, you know, that that's, you know, just there, that's four X, the number of data sources that you need to start to manage and make sense of. Uh, and so, and so segment really has come in at, at just the right time. How did you guys look at the market in that? Cause I, I mean, I know market is important, but it, at that time when segment started, it was a very much, I don't know if, if the market was established for how big it could be. It, it was, it was growing very quickly, I'd say. Okay. And, um, interestingly, um, you know, the, the way in which we, we found segment was truthfully through our, our own portfolio. Uh, as we were talking to our VPs of engineering and our heads of marketing, um, they were all, uh, you know, uh, sharing you know, very effusive feedback about how segment was solving this exact issue for them. Uh, and as we extrapolated out, we realized, um, well, gosh, you know, every company really has this problem. They all have a data collection issue and they all have a data management issue. Uh, and, and it's only getting worse. Um, and so it was interesting, you know, we, we, we talked to a lot of existing customers, but then I talked to a lot of customers that weren't on segment and they all were articulating a lot of the same pain points. Uh, and what was interesting too was, you know, it wasn't just a Silicon Valley issue. It was a global fortune 5,000 issue. You know, you go out to, uh, uh, Johnson and Johnson, you go to a crate and barrel, you go to, uh, um, you go to a Coca-Cola, um, the, you know, every company is becoming uh, digitally savvy with the way in which they market to customers. And so they all have the same issue of uh, uh, how do you collect data uh, across the various vectors that you're engaging your customers through, uh, whether that's email or your mobile app or your website. Um, and so it was very much becoming a global issue. Uh, and so for us, you know, that it was easy to see how a segment could ultimately become a really big business. Interesting. Yeah, Interesting. that makes a lot of sense. Um, so let's talk about kind of, you touched on it a bit, but let's talk about some of the ways that um, seed stage companies that you're working with are using um, data inside of their company to create more efficiency or or better insights. Absolutely. I, you know, I think what's been so interesting uh, just in, in looking at the seed companies that I work with is how fast they're able to move now because they are data aware. Um, so whereas, you know, maybe five or 10 years ago, companies that, you know, weren't, um, weren't necessarily data driven, uh, their feedback cycle, their feedback cycles were maybe a little bit slower. Um, they didn't have data to inform, uh, their next decision, their product decisions or their marketing decisions. Uh, and as a result, um, you know, they weren't able to react as, as quickly as companies are today. Uh, now today you're able to put a product out there. Um, you can see very quickly how customers are engaging with it. Uh, you can see very quickly how maybe customers are churning out or what are the tension points within the product that are uh, causing issues for your end users. Uh, and you can react to that and you can solve those issues. Um, 
and that that's been that that's really inflected the that's really inflected the velocity at which companies are able to build products today. Uh, and so for us as seed investors, that's that's a great thing um, because they can really efficiently build products and services to a for a broad range of customers uh, within that seed round. Um, so you know we can use a million or two million dollars in a seed round and get to a lot of answers very quickly. Uh, and really figure out where we are creating product market fit uh, in an efficient way. Uh, and for us as investors, that's a great thing because that means that you can do a lot more with a lot with a lot less. Is there any downside to having that much data and insight where, um, you know, maybe a product's not moving fast enough? Um, does that ever happen? And do you guys have any ways to to deal with it? Um, where uh, what I'm trying to get at is, you know, possibly in the past, uh, if if it things looked good and by gut, you would might move forward. But today, if the data says it's a little too slow, that company may be shut down. Um, do you ever see things like that happening? Uh, occasionally, I'd say the, the, the stickier point is when uh, maybe companies become a little too data driven uh, and they mm-hmm. stop relying on that gut. Uh, mm. You know, a, a lot of innovation just comes from um, trying a bunch of things, from thinking outside the box. Uh, sometimes, if you're if you're staring too much at the metrics and, and too much at the data, uh, you might stop uh, thinking for yourself in some ways. Uh, and so, uh, you know, you see this a lot, uh, specifically among designers. Um, you know, designers who mm. are creating uh, new interaction models or new design models. Um, sometimes, if you're if you're a little bit too data driven, it can actually box you in from an innovation standpoint. And so, it's all about balance. You know, that's the uh, that's the the obvious point. But it's all about balancing uh, intuition uh, as founders with uh, with what is the data telling you. Interesting. Yeah, I this has been um, this has been really great. Um, where can we keep up with you and um, you know Excel's portfolio online? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, check us out on Twitter uh, at Excel. Um, check me out uh, on Twitter as well at Voss. Uh, I try to keep uh, I try to keep it pretty <laughs> fresh. Um, but uh, but yeah, you know, follow us. We're we're always trying to write uh, about our newest and latest investments on Medium, uh, and we're uh, we're always out at conferences and doing our best to uh, to get out there and share uh, some of the things that we're seeing. Uh, and so, you know, uh, we'd love to see you guys out at the next, uh, data conference or the next, uh, startup, uh, meetup and event and, uh, and hope to keep in touch with everyone. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on. Really appreciate it. Cool. Awesome. Michael. Great to meet you. Yeah, you too. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I love hearing from the VC perspective as well as the entrepreneur. I feel like it gives such a well-rounded view of our industry. So stay tuned Wednesday. We're going to look at the history of Hadoop, which is one of the most important innovations that allowed big data to happen in a big way. And part of the story runs right through the Excel Venture Office, as we heard today. So, But there's about eight years before that, about eight years after that, and we're going to cover it all. It's going to be really exciting, really great episode, lots of learning and, and insights into the entrepreneurial journey there. So stay tuned for that coming up on Wednesday. If you haven't yet, leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Please, really helps us. If you want to follow us at Rocketship FM on Twitter, I'm Michael Saka at Michael Saka and Joel is at Joel Goldman. All right, we'll see you back here Wednesday. <laughs>